Hello there. Welcome to Automation Impact Podcast. My name is Edward Slopetsky. I'm UiPath MVP and founder of Active Automation. In this podcast, together with UiPath Most Valuable Professionals and other guests, we are sharing our experience and best practices in intelligent automation. To learn more about the podcast, visit automationimpact.io. There, I also post short summaries for each episode. Also, you can contribute to the development of this podcast by subscribing and sharing it with your colleagues, friends, and community. Let's learn and grow together. Enjoy listening. Understood. Good. And then we are starting to speak a little bit about, you You were mentioning arguments, you were mentioning workflows, etc. I would like to speak a little bit about reusability. So definitely you don't build all the workflows from scratch and especially you were also a contributor in a marketplace. So you know that we can reuse a lot of things we built once. How does it work for you in terms of reusability? How you ensure that you don't build the modules twice? How do you reuse modules? And here I'd be curious about both internally developed and also available on marketplace. So what is the sequence you follow to ensure that you don't do the work which was probably done already by someone? Yeah, so in that case, while you're doing this design, uh, what I used to do is when I feel that this part can be there in marketplace or somewhere, I just do a quick search just to get an understanding whether it's already there or whether we need to build it from scratch. And maybe like there can be custom activities to do certain things so that you don't need to do any uh, crazy coding behind it. Uh, so likewise, I do get an understanding about what sort of things we can get from the marketplace and what sort of things that we can build as a reusable component so that we can use it in future projects and not only in this one. Uh, so we usually maintain a internal reusable library as well. That's something that I always prefer because once you are done with something, uh, it's good to have it stored somewhere just like the marketplace, something internal uh, so that whenever there's a requirement, you can just grab it from there and put it inside your solution. Correct. What is the form you store, uh, where you store your code? Uh, so that depends. Uh, most of the time if we have a shared drive where we can store it or it can be GitHub or any source control solution, uh, we used to store that mostly. Got it. So maybe to highlight the importance of this step uh, when writing SDD, one of the important aspects of it is that if you are skipping writing SDD, and quite often I saw like developers, especially in smaller companies, uh, mentioning about that, you know, like I am I am developer, business analyst, and solution architect, everything in one person, and I don't need to have SDD written upfront. Um, there are several advantages which I would like to highlight for SDD creation. So first, as Lahiru described, if you don't create solution design document, but just let developers go and develop on their own, I think that you miss the overview of what 
uh, what other reusable components you may utilize. Yes. So usually in our practice, before development starts, solution architect is checking on the marketplace as well as in internal library. In our case, we try to avoid shared drives, but usually we go for some resource control solution. So it may be GitHub, it may be Azure, um, or like back in the past, it was also SVN where you check if components were already built for a certain application, transaction or whatever. This is one thing. Another thing is that it helps to avoid, I would say a rework. So on a higher level. And what I mean by this is when you as a best developer ever, let's say uh, not, not challenging the capabilities, start to develop solution. And at the very beginning, it always looks nice. But then at some point you realize here and there that, ah, okay, I forgot this part or business came back and add some new requirements, etc. Solution starts to look ugly at some point. And at some point you have, a, you, you need to decide if you are to rework it and make it better readable and better maintainable, or you say, okay, I would still kind of understand how to handle it. Maybe others will not, but I can still kind of understand what is there. And if you run into this corner of rework on the solution design level, usually writing of solution design for us takes one to two days. What's your experience like here? How long does it take to, to draft the, the very first initials SDD? Of course, later you update it, but how long it takes to draft the first initial draft? Um, yeah, so we usually have a template built for us and certain areas can be completed by ourselves. Uh, within a couple of hours and what we usually do is we have a very comprehensive uh, template that includes various different things uh, some of the things like high-level architecture the exception handling application configurations data policy securities on all these things uh, some of the stuff are quite straightforward and you can do within a couple of seconds, uh, minutes, sorry, hours. But to complete the full document, uh, if everything is available to you, that what from my experience, it will take around uh, at least one week. Basically, yeah, about five working days to get things in proper order. Correct. But what I mean is to start development, I think that those few hours which you have mentioned would be enough, right? So this first few hours enables you to start development. And then later, I believe that there are even some sections which cannot be completed before the code is done, right? But some drafting, at least at the very beginning for those reusable components and high-level architecture are already in place. And when you are designing it, what I, I was doing this solution architect role for maybe two to three years in, in RPA directly. And... Uh, what I remember is that if you do a mistake or you're like the way you think at the very beginning, you say, okay, this would be the right solution. And when you start developing it and, and developing is not necessary yet in the code, but even if you write a solution design document, you, when as far as your story develops, you might realize that this is the wrong perception or wrong, wrong initial thoughts about this. And then you change the approach. The main difference is that to change approach on SDD level takes minutes or hours to change approach when you develop and when you say okay i will start development and then later i will adjust it will take days right so the big advantage of sdd is that you experience the life cycle of solution before it is created and you experience some you you think upfront what bottlenecks or what problems you might avoid 
And last thing, which is very important about this thing is uh, that if you have a draft created upfront, you have those components named upfront, you, you mentioned the arguments and everything already there, and you can split the work between multiple developers. Moreover, you know, as a solution architect, you know upfront which component is complex, which component is medium, which comp component is easy, what helps you to easier handle the the teams. And when I see that guys from the very beginning, from the junior level, that the, the architects are giving them to integrate solution end-to-end, -end, no doubt they will manage, yeah? So no doubting the capabilities, but from learning curve, I think that this is not the best approach when people start with end-to-end -end development from scratch, where in our company, what we are doing and what shown quite good success also with our customers, we use so-called 2010-10 principle. And it means that at the very beginning, junior developers are allowed only to develop components. So they do nothing but develop small components and review components of each other. After developing 20 of those with the supervising of solution architect or senior developers, they start doing integrations. And integrations means they start putting those things together. So they take components and they start to integrate first dispatchers or, or load queue parts and then main solution, which is actually performing the, the, the process itself. And then this comes, this brings us to the, the second part, this 10. So 20 components, 10 integrations. And only after successfully passing 10 integrations, they start drafting first SDDs. Because even when they do integration before, they do it based on SDD. So they know what component go after what component because the guys like Lahiru were thinking for them upfront and matching all the arguments, etc. And then the highest level is when developers are capable of creating their own SDD, solution design document, in which then Lahiru, I assume that you have nothing but uh, PDD, process design document, in which process is described as is. And based on this, you are creating for developers the handbook in which they would actually later map everything down. So this solution design document is very important um, aspect when it comes to scalable automation. Yeah, you can skip it, no doubts. You can skip it. You can develop the solution without it. You can even develop it faster, etc. But to to be scalable and to keep the the good maintenance of solutions, you must have this SDD, and it would help you also to grow your internal capabilities. Lahir, what, what do you think about this? I, I shared a little bit of, of approach we, we were doing, but how does it deviate from your experience? Or what do you think about this? Yeah, so I can give some uh, really interesting examples on to align that with your uh, points that you mentioned. So there was one scenario where uh, this some time back uh, when I actually started with RPA. Uh, so I also got, uh, uh, I had to get involved in certain things in this uh, thing, so that's how I know. So in one of our initial uh, engagements, we had to do uh, a POC for a client and this is going to be quite interesting. Uh, so this is just a simple invoice processing uh, process where you just need to read a couple of documents using IP and extract that information, uh, insert into a 
ERP application and also give the output as Excel. So it's pretty simple, it's not that complex and maximum you can do this if you design it properly. Maximum it will take you uh, maybe around maximum 12 workflow files, XML files. But uh, they, knew, they knew what has to be done, but there was no solution design uh, in that way. There were no diagram as such saying this is how the flow is and this is how you integrate each and every component. And you just said, told the developers that this is what you are going to develop and you have to do it within just two weeks. So, because there was no that kind of a control, people start developing different uh, components like different workflows and when they try to integrate it, uh, let's say you and I are developing two different workflows and ideally my output has to go in to your workflow as an input and you have to produce something as an output and because there was no such uh, initial draft you expected that I would provide a data table and you built your component based on that and I expected that just giving out a list would be enough for you to do that I created my workflow in that way and finally when you are going to integrate you are in a whole lot of mess and that integration was done by some other guy and he has modified both workflows and those two developers don't know which workflow he was working on. <laughs> so just that simple process actually within two, two weeks you ended up with like 50 workflows and two different solutions trying to demonstrate this uh, application they built. <laughs> so that was a, a disaster because we didn't have proper organization uh, with that design and that that's one example of why this document is really important and why that gives the developers the best overview that this is what they really need to build otherwise everyone think in different ways i can think of developing a certain thing in different way and you can uh, think of developing the same thing in totally different way and but the final outcome will be same but in different ways so that's why it's important and there's another story to get back to the same point there was a scenario and uh, I was I was acting as the solution architect in this scenario and at the initial stages when we are gathering the requirement, we finalized everything and we came up with the final solution that saying that this is what we are going to build in very detailed level and we communicated it to our developers and also showed it to the business guys as well just to uh, get everything clear so that just to make sure that we are covering everything and we got it uh, signed off from the business as well as uh, from the technical side because uh, that's what we are going to do and we started development and halfway through suddenly this business guy came in saying that hey really sorry but we really need to change this and that change uh, 
is actually affecting 50% of what we developed. It's not the fault of a BA or the solution architect guy. It because everything was signed off and we all were aligned with that, but there was some really urgent change that they had to do and there was no other option than changing it. And having this solution designed, we were able to identify where we need to change, how we need to change and how we should align that with the rest of the components that we have so that we don't need to uh, build the entire thing from scratch. So we were quickly able to identify those things and because we had this solution and within couple of days we were able to manage and merge the changes into one. So that's another advantage of having it. Yeah. So uh, speaking in other words, it is building building robots without having SDD created. It's something like starting to build a house without having any plan, but just bringing the stones and, and sand and everything and starting to somehow put it together and say that I will later uh, find out how it will look like, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same concept, man. When you're building a house without the architect, you will say, hey, you want a window here, you want the staircase here, and someone else might say, don't put the window there, put it somewhere here and put it in a different style, and you will end up with something crazy. Uh, so, and that maybe just to highlight, to yeah, yeah go maybe just to highlight also. Uh, it doesn't prevent you from having changes and from having adjustments and from having you also some modifications later then it just reduces the number of those just because of the fact that you were thinking about it before right so it it still it doesn't doesn't mean that once you have SD it is like change proof or, or, or anything there still might be a changes but those changes are much easier to handle and still you would have a great high level overview of what you are going to change and what remains the same. You don't need to rework the whole solution. Yeah. All right, sir. Uh, we touched reusability. Um, I would like to touch for, for, for a bit. I would like to speak with you as a solution architect. I would like to speak with you also about the scalability. What is important to consider when when you are designing your solution? And when I say designing, it's before development itself. But when, when creating the solution design document, you want this solution to be scalable and scalable in number of robots in, in like whenever the workflow, gro uh, sorry, workload grows. And, you know, like maybe you need to scale it across different departments. You want to make sure that if tomorrow you, instead of running it on one robot, you plug in 10, it would still handle it. Um, what are the main, I don't know, aspects you consider when it comes to scalability? Mm, yeah. So in that case, this is again coming back with some experience that I got from one of our projects. Uh, so this came... We started this project as attended automation because that's that's one of their initial automation projects and they wanted to start with something small and then scale it later. Uh, so this is some build processing uh, thing where they were focusing on few accounts and that included thousands of data though. Uh, and we were able to design that solution for that but their main requirement was this solution we are building has to be scalable 
so that we can easily use it to process even more accounts and maybe also to put it into some other department so that they can also use it maybe with uh, really small changes so in in that case we wanted to make sure that uh, we are not going to limit the solution in different ways like uh, for example in that case we wanted to make sure that the system is capable of handling even more data than we are expecting it to and to make sure that it will also work in an unattended environment because they had that plan to get an orchestrator and get it onto this unattended uh, mode in the long run. Uh, so we had to design the solution in that way so that it's without with minimal change or with minimal effort uh, we are we can simply move it to those other environments and quickly use it in that so we plan the solution in that way so that uh, with minimal human intervention and with the most efficient ways of getting things done uh, likewise so that's how we planned it got it and Talking of scalability also and, and talking of framework, do you use a framework or you, you use something own? Yeah, we use the RE framework, uh, not exactly as it is, but we have a couple of modifications just to make it uh, look better and work better uh, and give us more control over certain can, things. Can you share what are those modifications? Yeah, so... We usually uh, do simple checks, uh, like when you're starting with a workflow, uh, you just check whether you have all the requirements or all the required data from the input arguments. Otherwise, this is just a simple example. Otherwise, you just get the input arguments and one argument might be null or it can have something different than what you're expecting and somewhere down the line in the process because of that you're going to run into an error and the process is going to stop and why waste that time uh, other than checking it at the beginning so that you know that this is not going to work even before you do the process so those kind of simple changes helps to improve the re framework itself and also that's one thing that we did and apart from that we also introduced certain other controls like we had uh, several templates built uh, to check when you are interacting with the interface if the maybe the uh, application is responding slowly than you expect and instead of closing the entire thing and starting off from the beginning you can just retry certain steps and maybe like if it's a web application if the element that you're looking for is not there maybe just a simple refresh on the page will help it get moving so in certain cases that we identified certain scenarios like that and we introduced certain retry steps uh, to improve that uh, along with some exception handlers like 
global exception handler and so on so that we can we cover a lot of things with that so those simple things can really help to improve your process understood good and speaking of like technologies overall and getting into more techy discussion from from the very beginning closer to the middle or, or later at the end of this episode um Nowadays, UiPath is bringing more and more technologies on board. It is not anymore about the RPA, but it is nowadays so-called hyper-automation, right? And talking of this hyper-automation, um, there are aspects which helps you to discover, right? So there is a process mining and, and there is a task uh, task capture and, and, and task mining. Um, there is the, the There are aspects which helps you to develop and orchestrate, which are already for us quite familiar. And also there is now wide range of AI capabilities coming in, including also like chatbots, including some more advanced document understanding and other aspects. So besides UiPath Studio and Orchestrator, and maybe we can name here Robot and Assistant. What else did you dive in already from this hypercare scope? Oh, sorry, hyper automation scope. Um, yeah, so in my case, it's kind of different because I really had to uh, had that crazy idea of going into everything to understand that how things are working and so that you know what they are offering and it will be easy for you to provide a solution. Uh, so I was mainly going into AI fabric, document understanding, uh, insights, uh, task capture and automation hub, uh, basically a lot of things in all those uh, phases, discovery, build, and run and those spaces that UI path is having. Uh, so as a solution architect, I also wanted to make, uh, since you brought that topic up, this, I wanted to mention that. As a solution architect, uh, you're not going to develop things, but for you to provide a solution, you need to know the end-to-end -end offering that UI path is giving. Uh, so, knowing about all these uh, solutions, I think there are 15 different uh, platforms they have from process mining to insights. So, knowing about all these things will help you to give the best possible solution to your customer and to provide the most efficient the solution that they can get. So that's why I really want to get into all of these uh, technologies that they are giving so that you know what's there and what you can provide with what you have. Correct. Good. And talking of this role of solution architect, it is a very related question. Besides UiPath Studio and, and Orchestrator, what are the top five technologies every solution architect should know? Or top three, top top five, like name yourself. What are the, the other technologies that solution architect must know? It may be within uh, UiPath product line, landscape offering or even outside. You were mentioning Abby and, and, and some other technologies. So what are the top three or top five technologies which is important to know for solution architect? Yeah. 
So nowadays when it comes to these automation solutions, what I see now is people are slowly moving into uh, this uh, document processing AI and having certain ways of getting reports generated how on how these robots are working and how they can scale them uh, and also in terms of understanding or analyzing the processes that uh, people also look for different efficient ways of doing it uh, when it comes to Sri Lanka and the Asia region it's the process mining is still it's uh, it's quite new and but I know in other countries that people are trying to go for these things something like document understanding and AI all this stuff so as a solution architect I would uh, really uh, how should I say that I should really encourage people to look for uh, these things what I just mentioned and also uh, try to understand a little on data analytics because data is everything and whatever you are building whatever solution you are providing it's data is what's going to run inside that data will come in and you do a lot of things and same set of data will go out as your output so analyzing this data and knowing how to understand and give much better insights on this data uh, having some, having that analytics knowledge is really helpful and technologies like Alteryx is very much helpful in these cases and also uh, knowing a little bit of Python as well would be helpful because Python is nowadays uh, kind of like a very interesting language that people use in various different things to build AI models and build certain other things to get things moving even with UiPath. Uh, so knowing these areas will be really helpful as a solution architect to give the best solution. Got it. Another question I have is what is in your to be discovered at least what are the next solutions or what are the solutions in your list which you are you didn't touch yet or you maybe touch on a high level and you are planning to dive into mm, yeah so these days i'm also working in on python and trying to understand or trying to get certified on alterix because it's uh, very important these days and people look for that uh, qualification when it comes to these projects and I have actually come across different scenarios where people look for Alteryx and Python knowledge to do certain things or to automate their processes and that's why I'm going to these two areas as we speak and I'm also trying to move a little bit on process mining so, but my core area will be uh, the solution architect role and all those stuff but I'm slightly deviating on these areas to get the understanding so that I can help that my core uh, uh, solution providing thing with all those other knowledge that I gain. 
So those are the things I'm looking into during this test. Is there anything in your mind what is not yet, I don't know, far developed or you didn't didn't play yet with, but you you think that this is the technology which may be a big game changer or this is the technology which would um, contribute to RPA a lot? Is there something what, uh, I, when I was writing down this question, I, I write it as, is there any technology which you are dreaming about nowadays? Is there something what is not yet on the market, but you really heavily wish that there is? Mm. Well, I was actually dreaming about mainly it's AI and all this natural language processing stuff. Uh, and nowadays, I think with all those technologies, we have, uh, we can do a lot of stuff and especially chatbots is a quite interesting area when it comes to new technology and all those complex uh, and scary words like AI, NLP and stuff. Uh, so recently I saw a demo from one guy from the community where he was trying to build a solution where the robot is actually calling the developer when the process runs into an error. So you get the call and the robot speaks on the other side saying that this process and this is some error that you got here, please look into it. And he also built it in another way where you can speak to the robot saying, trying to do these, these things. So I don't know what happened with that project, but it was quite interesting. And I think that level of integration of these technologies and maybe some new technologies will also come up handy with all those things going on. But there are a lot of, uh, crazy but really interesting things going on so those are the things that i'm very much looking into these days yeah and talking of ai i mean we know that ai is not the technology itself but the group of technologies right so under it it has the nlp and then some other stuff what on your opinion what is the maturity of ai how mature it is and how like do you think that it is already behind the middle of, of its development or it is on the early days, early stages, how capable the technology is already nowadays and how how much more is to go. I think that there is no limit, of course, the upper limit, but still, what's your perception of this so-called AI? Or if you, if you are more comfortable to take it into separate categories like NLP, etc., we may speak about the categories itself. So how mature the AI is? Mm, yeah, so... To answer that question, I think uh, from my perspective, AI is just like you said, it, there's no such limit because every day this AI is going to improve and there are a lot of training going on and with each training cycle they do, it's going to improve and improve and improve all the time. And in even in different categories like NLP or uh, all those other uh, stuff like text analysis and data analytics and all these things. Uh, it, as of now, as I see, it produces a really good result. Uh, but still, there's uh, there can be a lot of room to improve. I'm not an AI specialist to say exactly what has to be 
uh, improved but uh, based on what I see uh, there are like different areas where you still can improve to support different things especially like with this current situation going on around the world with COVID and all this stuff maybe there, if there's some AI thing where it can analyze all this data around the world and come up with some sort of a solution to build a vaccine kind of thing so there's a lot of room to improve as I see got it got it sir good we're getting closer to I would say the ending of this episode and I still have few standard or maybe some of them are not that standard quizzes and before jumping into it the last question i have about the role itself like solution architect role and your perception on that is what are the things you like and later there will be a question about what are the things you don't like about this role but starting off what are the things you like about the role of solution architect what are the advantages how would you sell it to a person who never worked there but you want to if you could want to convince me to become a solution architect why should i okay so that's interesting <laughs> why should you become a solution architect okay uh yeah so uh let me think um, Okay, so from my perspective, solution architect role is quite interesting because you're not limited to uh, development or a business analytics kind of thing. Solution architect role is more of uh, everything. Like you have to know the technology and you have to know the business and you're kind of somewhere in the middle trying to merge these two together to give a proper solution so why i like that role is uh, so for a long time i have been an analyst and i have been in different roles i have been an engineer i have been a senior engineer and every time what i have noticed is uh, being in that role you are either uh, building something or you're either fixing something and I find it really boring <laughs> because that's not what you're capable of doing and I mean you can easily do that but you can do more than that so being a solution architect will give you that added freedom where you can actually span across multiple technologies you can go to the business side and you can also go for the technical side and try to come up with a nice solution uh, maybe you can just give it as a solution for your current project but also you can come up with solutions for future projects so that's something really interesting that as I see, uh, rather than doing the same thing over and over again every day. So that's why I really like the solution architect role. And I hope I convinced you. 
<laughs> yeah, let's see, let's see. It also depends what are the disadvantages of this role. Yeah? So now you are just showing me this shiny, shiny side of it. But come on, as every any job, there are some boring and annoying and, and whatever else activities. So before uh, before I am convinced, I want to know about the dark side of this uh, this role. So what annoys you in this role? What you don't like? What is boring? Like it's it's not perfect role. Come on. What what is not perfect there and what you don't like about this role? Yeah, so like you said, there are a lot of challenges uh, being a solution architect because you have to deal with a lot of people and you have to deal with a lot of technologies, but technology is something else. But still you can find some time to go through these technologies and trying to understand and learn. But dealing with people is difficult. And when it comes to this business guy, sometimes they don't know anything about technology. And just imagine once I had to uh, work with a guy and he didn't know where the, what the start button is in Windows. And what's the red color button on the top right of each and every window. So when I say click on the start, he's just looking at me, what's start? What should I start and what should I close? How to do that? So being that guy, the solution architect, and when it comes to dealing with all these people with various different backgrounds, it's really difficult. And sometimes when you go and meet these people to get the real understanding of the process, uh, sometimes they think that uh, you are trying to build something that will uh, affect their job and sometimes they tend to not provide all the information and sometimes because even the way they have been doing it they say something at one point and sometime later they come back and say hey you have to do this you have to do that and just remove this thing and they try to change everything so that's something that I don't like because once you get confirmation on something and once you try moving forward with that and suddenly someone coming and saying that this is not what you need to do and this has to be changed and after getting that confirmed, it, sometimes it annoys me a lot and it, because it's uh, make all of our lives difficult trying to get aligned with deadlines and all those other stuff and you get pressure from all directions from the business and from your management and from the developers and because they also try to say hey, we built this and we are asking us to change it and how should we do this do that and all that so it's kind of uh, a difficult role to play but it's interesting Got it. So, in, in with the question about the dark side of uh, of solution architect role, we got into the dark side of Lahiru as well. When <laughs> sorry, as a joke, <laughs> saying that the, the the what's annoying part of the solution architect is dealing with people, right? <laughs> no, but of course, I'm now making it up by purpose. I uh, when also when you were mentioning about the poor guy not knowing where the start button is, I was thinking maybe he's just a Mac user and didn't get used to Windows, you know. And then uh, it explains a lot of things, right? So sometimes yeah. people just have completely 
completely different perception of, of, of the technology. But yeah, I, I think that uh, even considering this dark side, I think that you convinced me with the, with the positive, positive sides of uh, Solution Architect. And I'm wondering, did you think of how this role would look like in in few years and few you define it i the question i have here is like what the role would look like in 2025 but not necessarily five years so do do you think that the role would anyhow evolve or role would stay the same as, as it is today well the role will be there because uh Whatever the technology and whatever the improvements that come in over the period of time, as I see, someone has to be there to really understand certain things and really guide people on how to do things. And that level of, uh, as I said earlier, that level of control and that level of involvement is needed from someone to get things moving in the proper direction and to uh, make sure that process ends, uh, the project ends in a successful way that so that everyone is happy. So that guidance has to be given from a solution architect. Uh, but the role can be challenging because as we see currently, uh, the technology, the AI, RPA, all these other stuff involved is changing really fast. And as I experienced, if you stay out of all this for one week, you have a lot to catch. And I experienced that personally because uh, for actually for one project, I had to give all my time and I had to focus on that to get it completed. And that has to be had to be done in three weeks. And after three weeks, after completing that and I'm back to my normal schedule, and while going through these latest things, I realized that I'm far behind than I was three weeks back. So I had to spend a lot of time to understand and learn new things, even with the technologies that you are already working with. So with the time, it's going to be a little bit difficult to uh, get up to date with all this stuff. But you have to find time to get yourself updated because that's uh, one main requirement to be a solution architect because for you to design something, you have to know what the latest technology is providing. So yeah, that's the challenge as I see going forward. All right, and now we are getting to the last part of this episode and quite traditional one, which I used to ask in all the other episodes. It is about five do's and don'ts. So Lahir, I would like to ask you, what are the five things every solution architect should do? Yeah, so the I have also mentioned a couple of things while we were discussing about this uh, through this entire episode. So the first main thing is uh, to provide the best solution and to uh, give the, the most efficient solution to your customer or the client. You have to make sure that you are up to date with the technologies. Uh, so that's the main important thing. And the next important thing is you being the solution architect, you are the leader of the 
development team and you are leading them so that you can build the uh, solution with best practices and standards and as the solution architect you're the one who is uh, laying down these standards and the best practices so you have to make sure that the developers who are building this uh, workflows and the solution are maintaining these standards and following the best practices that you have promised to deliver to your customer so that's one important responsibility and also the other thing is in in any project as i see uh, the just only the ba will not be enough to provide the best solution for the automation the ba combined with the solution architect so that you have the business expertise and the technical expertise that combination from my experience has provided much better results in giving the best possible solution for any automation project that you are going to get involved in so that's one and <coughs> solution architect is the most experienced and the most knowledgeable guy in the team so the frequent training that you provide to the team and also to the client uh, will help them to improve their knowledge and also to spread the awareness uh, when you are completing the project or when you are starting the project so that it will be helpful so that you set the mindset of these people that saying that this is what you are going to do and this is the final outcome of that and lastly the other thing is while building these solutions don't try to build everything from scratch just uh, look for reusable things in the marketplace or even in your internal uh, repository if you have one and while you're building try to introduce new reusable components and try to use the existing ones so that your your development time will reduce quite a lot and that also helps you to maintain that uh, standards and uh, stuff that i mentioned earlier and also there's one additional thing that i would like to say uh, sometimes from my experience that people sometimes people think that sdd is not really required and just providing the pdd and kind of like a user manual will be enough for a automation solution but i really don't agree with that because sdd can be a very comprehensive document that includes many different things other than user manual so always focus on building that and based on the two examples i gave you i think that's a really good example for you to see the disadvantage of not having one and the advantage of having one so make sure you do that good sir and now after having not not only five but i think we named six uh do's if if i'm not mistaken um i think that we are getting into don'ts so what are the things which solution architect should not do or in other words i always used to say should do to properly screw up everything yeah uh, so in terms of don'ts uh, <clears throat> sometimes 
people also think uh, as a solution architect you should focus on just development and uh, spend less time on providing or supporting the BA and providing the solution sort of stuff. Uh, and I have actually seen people doing that. I don't know why, but some people do that. Uh, but the disadvantage of doing that is when you get into the development, your mindset is going to be narrowed down to trying to build a workflow or trying to solve a bug that's really troubling you to uh, get things moving ahead. And with that, you lose track of what's happening outside. And you basically lose track of the scope, you lose track of the deadlines, you lose track of many different things. And being the solution architect, you have to make sure that everything is moving smoothly and you maintain your deadlines, you maintain your standards, and you make sure your client is happy and the team is happy and your management has to be happy as well. So just you can support the team with certain development things like trying to fix certain things and trying to guide them to get certain things done in a proper way, but not a hundred percent developer role. So uh, you had to like have the 360 degree of the entire solution. So you had to be uh, separate from that development. And the next thing that I have seen is some people think that when you work with the BAs and when you try to come up with that combined ways of providing solution that you also can do the BA role. And sometimes I have I had to do this a couple of times myself as well and I realized that being a solution architect is not the BA and I can't I can give the I can give any technical solution but uh, that level of efficiency and that level of uh, expertise is not going to work when you are actually playing a BA role BA is something different uh, than a solution architect so don't try to be both at the same time in a project because the BA guy will have a different perspective of the process and you being a technical guy will have a totally different perspective and in most of the processes this uh, from my experience in some of the processes sometimes I do a lot of arguments with uh, the BA guy trying to get things aligned. It's not in anger or anything, but going into that argument will help us think in different ways and help him think in different other ways of trying to solve it. And that discussion is coming as a nice output, as a, the best solution. So if you are the single guy who is doing the BA and the solution design role, that's not going to work and that uh, exposure is not going to be there if you are the single guy who is doing everything. Um, so don't do that and just play the solution architect role as I explained all this time and yeah that will help to build a better solution. Got it. 
Got it. We name only few dons, but uh, I'm not sure if you want to add anything else. Otherwise, we can we can stop it here and and move on. So, is there anything else you want to list between dons or? Mm, no, I think yeah, good. Good, good. Lahiro, I believe that's it for for today's episode. But before we end it, um, knowing and following you and seeing how how many different things you do, I I would like to encourage you to leave a message to our community, to leave a message to your community as well as uh, to leave a message to our listeners. So if now now you have a possibility to, to say so, so what would be the message? What, what would be the things you would like to share? Yeah, so this is something that I have uh, been saying to a couple of guys over some period of time. Uh, especially with some of my recent engagements like uh, doing lectures in some organizations outside the country. Uh, so talking about RPA, it's, uh, it's a growing technology and it's a fast moving domain I would say because I personally experienced that. So. In the future, in the near future, RPA is going to be like a mandatory requirement for any um, job that you are going to work in. And maybe you are already working somewhere in a technical role or a non-technical role and maybe you are a student trying to find a job, but still, uh, either way, the RPA is going to be there and it will affect your uh, role that you are doing right now in different ways. Not, I'm not saying that you are going to lose your job, but it will change the way you work. So, because back then when uh, people invented and introduced computers, uh, that changed a uh, lot of things, right? That changed the way we are working in in these companies and then we, they introduced uh, different web applications, desktop applications and all these systems that we are working right now. Uh, that also changed the way we are working and with RPA uh, it's going to be the next mandatory requirement for uh, any opportunity that you are going to get and it's going to be there and sometimes uh, Knowing RPA will be uh, one of the requirements that they are looking at in the job advert. So uh, make sure that you are ready for that and to get ready for it, learn what RPA is and if you are already doing certain things, trying to improve your knowledge, there are more than enough uh, resources out there, it's free and there are a lot of videos, a lot of articles and UiPath is also providing their community events uh, platform for you to attend different webinars time to time and people are also providing their uh, personal you know these videos to share the knowledge so and there are a lot of people who are willing to support them on like being a mentor and trying to guide them in different ways and since I'm part of all that uh, if you want any help in that regard, you can also feel free to reach out to me as well. 
on any platform that you wish uh, yeah so stay updated and make sure you have your have a bright future with robotic process automation why hero that's amazing thank you very much and i think that that brings us to the end of this episode and yeah i want to thank you for this exciting discussion i wish you a lot of success and discoveries in 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 all those new technologies coming and uh, the insights you share would be definitely uh, interesting for our community so thank you very much for for this episode yeah thank you very much edward and it was a really interesting discussion and we shared a lot of things and it's really interesting and i hope it's it will be very much helpful to our audience as well as the entire community and thank you so much for doing this and thank you so much for inviting and it's amazing work thanks a lot my pleasure sir thank you that's it for today i hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new don't forget to visit our web automationimpact.io and share this episode on social media it helps to grow and develop the podcast thank you <laughs>